The Stoic Jew podcast content for the month of May has been made possible by Dan Horowitz, who has graciously taken up my experimental request for an accountability sponsorship in hopes that this will result in more Stoic Jew content. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's episode, which comes to you after a long and unintended hiatus, is a combination of confession, Stoic self-talk, and hopefully some ideas. But I'm going to try to do this in one take, and I have a rough sketch of what I want to say, but we'll see where it goes. So I guess I want to start off with two premises, okay? The first premise is the idea of the God fantasy, okay? This is a term and a concept that I was introduced to by my Chumash Rebbe, Rabbi Yoni Sachs, and the clearest expression of it is in Breshi's chapter 3, in the dialogue between Chava and the Nachash, between Eve and the snake. So the... Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but, you know, as we know, uh, Adam and Chava are prohibited from eating from the Etadas Tovarah, the tree of the knowledge of knowledge of good and evil. And the snake basically causes Chava to question whether this prohibition actually should be adhered to. So the argument he makes is he says, so this is in Breshi's uh, Gimel Dalet in Genesis 3-4, Vayomer HaNachash El HaIsha, Lo Most Musun. The snake said to the woman, you will surely not die. Ki Elohim, ki biyom mimenu kelohim tov vara. So, uh, because God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like Elohim, knowers of good and bad. Now, the word Elohim in Hebrew can mean several things. It can mean uh, God. Uh, it can mean false gods. It can mean angels. It can mean rulers or judges. So the majority of commentators, it seems, take this to mean you will be like rulers or judges. But there are some commentators uh, who go with the uh, plain meaning, uh, what I think is the plain meaning of the Pasuk. Um, that means God. Uh, after all, it does, you know, the, the, the word Elohim appears two places in this Pasuk. Yodea uh, Elohim definitely means God. God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like Elohim, right? You'll be like gods. And Rashi there says, "Vihisem kelohim." You'll be uh, yotre olamos. You will be creators of worlds. Um, and actually, the Rashi before that is also good. He says, "Kiodea elokim v'gomer v'chol uman sona espene umanuso." Every craftsman hates his competitors. Min ha'etz hazeh achal ubara es haolam. God ate from this tree and he created the world. So, according to Rashi, <clears throat> the idea here is that the snake is telling Chava that. You know, God told you guys that if you eat from the tree, then you're going to die. But really, he's just trying to keep from you the source of his power. He ate from the tree, and that allowed him to become a creator. And if you eat from this tree, you're going to be creators as well. So he's appealing to this fantasy that that Chava, and by extension, Adam has, that 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 in truth, they are like God. Now, I don't understand this in a literal way. In other words, no one... You'd have to be delusional to think that you are an actual God, but it's talking about an unconscious fantasy that deep down we feel that we are God, okay? And this expresses itself in many, many ways. You know, um, uh, I, I guess coming from the standpoint of Mishle, of the book of Proverbs, which I learn most, the most common expression of it is that we feel like reality should bend to our will, you know? And the only being of whom that is true is God. God's will is reality, but we crave or expect reality to bend to our will. Uh, another way is obviously we feel invulnerable. There are parts, you know, parts of us that feel like we are invincible, and 
uh, and you know, the only being of whom that is true is God. So there are many, many expressions of this, okay? Uh, and it crops up all over the place, and the, 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 the greatest rishaim, the greatest evil uh, doers in the Torah, are either explicitly or, or by the sages uh, depicted as actually believing that they're gods. You know, example being Paro, um, uh, you know, Pharaoh uh, be believed he was a god. Uh, there are indications that Haman uh, believed that he was a god, so, and so on. Okay, so this comes up a lot. So that's premise number one. Okay, premise number two, uh, and this is really what kicked off this entire um, episode here, is... Sorry, I had to find the puzzle here. Is we? Uh, I'm recording this on a Sunday. So yesterday on Shabbos we read Parshas Vayera, and in Breshis Chaf Aleph Lama Gimel, uh, Genesis 21:33, then the the puzzle says uh, about Avraham, Vayita Eshel Biveer Shava Vayikra Sham B'Shem Adonai El Olam. Okay, so uh, what this Eshel is is a uh, is a little bit of a of a dispute here. So Avram planted an Eshel in Beershava. Okay, let's not even get into that. And he called there in the name of Hashem, Kel Olam. Okay, God of Olam. Now, uh, any student of the Rambam will recognize that that this is a very prominent pasuk in the Rambam's thought. Um, that uh, Rambam begins every book. That he's ever written with uh, with that with that phrase, B'shem Hashem Kel Olam. So this clearly is a very important pasuk. Uh, I'm actually not going to weigh in on how the Rambam uses it and and what he means by it and why he chooses it as the crowning pasuk. I have given Shiram on that, so I'll try to include the links in the show notes there. But I'm going to go with my understanding of the shot of the pasuk, which is that in in uh, the, this is a good thing to know in general. The word olam, ask any Jew what olam means, and they'll most of the time they'll say world, okay? And and that's because we use this in uh, in all the blessings we make. Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech olam. Blessed are you Hashem, or you Hashem are the source of blessing, uh, king of the olam, king of the universe, king of the world, okay? So in rabbinic Hebrew, olam means world, but in biblical Hebrew, olam never means world, um, I think there's some who think that there are a, a handful of instances in which it means world, but the real meaning of it is eternity. Okay. Um, Sforno on our puzzle here writes, and Avram called there in the name of Hashem, God of Olam. He says, uh, that Avram called and made known to the masses that God exalted as he, is the God of time and the one who brought it into existence. And this goes against the opinions of the non-Jews, new and old. So this is something that I'm also not going to get into here, but according, the big, the big competitor with the Torah's view that the universe was brought into existence by God is the view of Aristotle, who held that the universe is eternal. And according to that, Hashem... Aristotle held by a first cause, by Hashem, but he did not hold that that first cause created the universe. He holds that that first cause is the cause of the universe, the continual cause of it, like a shadow is caused by the wall uh, that, uh, you know, that the light casts. Uh, <laughs> I messed up that sentence. <laughs> that just like a wall that casts a shadow, uh, the wall is the cause of the shadow, so too... God is the cause of the universe, but not through an act of creation, not in any sort of event. Um, so according to Aristotle, Hashem is not the God of 
of, of time. Uh, but according to us, Hashem is the God of time or the God of eternity. Okay. So putting these two together, the idea of the God fantasy, uh, that deep down unconsciously, we all feel like we are God, God of Gibor Venora, the great, the mighty, and the power, and the awesome. Uh, that's idea number one. Idea number two is that Hashem is the God of time, the God of eternity. So these two ideas were rolling around in my head, and I realized that I have fallen prey to the God fantasy in this specific way of viewing myself as, as the God of time, <laughs> okay? And I'll explain what I mean. Uh, as those who listen to this podcast or who are my students in real life know, I am very big on habit cultivation and uh, time management and other sorts of things in the, I guess, the loosely speaking, the productivity sphere. And I'm always doing experiments on with my own habits and, and tweaking my routines, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but what I realized is uh, this past week, I had a huge aha moment. I had a huge realization of a mistake that I was making. Okay, so let me give you the facts, because here, I think when we're doing this uh, sort of stoic self-talk workshop thing, then the details are very important. So as I announced earlier in the year, I got a new part-time job this year, teaching high school at a school in New England. And most of the time I teach remotely. But once a month, I drive up to New England and I teach for a couple of days in person. And typically what will happen, uh, the plan at least, and how it's been so far, is I would drive up on a Sunday and then teach on uh, Monday and Tuesday and then drive back to New York. So this past week, I did that and it was great. Uh, but then I got back and, on Tuesday and then on Wednesday, I was stressing out. Okay, why was I stressing out? Because in my schedule of classes, I have two things that I do every Friday. One is that I publish an article on my Substack at rabbishnewais.substack.com. Usually it's a two-page article on the Parsha. And the other thing I do is I give a women's shear, a women's class at 11 a.m. called Makshava Lab, uh, which is usually an hour, hour and a half class. So ordinarily... I, uh, you know, my work on these two things is well underway. But this past Wednesday, uh, when I went up, or I guess when I came back from, from New England, then I was stressing out because not only had I not started preparing for my women's class and not started writing my article, I hadn't even chosen what topic I was going to do. And I have other classes as well. I have a class on Wednesday night and I have a class on Thursday night and classes that I give and, and tutoring that I do. So time was of the essence and I was just stressing out how am I going to to prepare this women's class and, uh, and write this article in time. And then suddenly it hit me that I have been doing something insane without realizing it simply because it has been habit, okay? And the insane thing I was doing was <laughs> that my drive to New England takes anywhere from three to four hours one way. So we're talking, you know, let's just say seven or eight hours round trip when I'm in the car, okay? And then I, you know, this this past Sunday, I drove up on Sunday, I actually held a Magic the Gathering tournament 
uh, informal event with my uh, with my students who play magic, uh, which was really really great. Uh, and you know, I, I'm kind of the the head of the unofficial Magic the Gathering club at the school, but this was our first time we did a real live uh, in person event uh, involving a bunch of students, and uh, that was for several hours on Sunday, which was great. And then whenever I'm in uh, whenever I'm up there in person, I try to just maximize the time that I spend with my students as much as possible. So I, I played magic with them during lunch, both days I hung out at the school. So we're talking here, let's say the eight hours round trip of driving plus the, let's say three hours, uh, uh sorry, no, let's say five hours playing magic, uh, across all the days plus whatever extra hours I'm spending in the school. So let's say like 14, 15 hours. Okay. So what I realized was, you know, here I was on Wednesday freaking out that I am behind schedule, but what kind of insane person thinks that he can cut out 15 hours that would have been spent learning and preparing to teach and yet still be on schedule? In other words, I, I would have spent, you know, I spend, I, I have a, uh, a very, very like, like well-oiled machine. I have my my uh, time that I spend on, uh, you know, throughout the week preparing for my classes. So typically what I do is on Shabbos morning, I sift through a bunch of topics to kind of like just get handfuls of topics that I want to, uh, to give a class about or write about. Sunday, I get into all the heavy research and I'm, I'm researching all these things and, and figuring out what might work, what might not work. I start writing the article then. I start, I, I continue preparing it through Monday, through Tuesday. Uh, I run it through the gauntlet of several students, uh, and and you know by the time Friday rolls around, then I'm ready to give these classes. But this week, you know, this past week, I gave up 15 hours, uh, and they were critical hours because they were early in the week, and of course I'm going to be behind. And how how could I possibly think that I could keep up this schedule after losing 15 hours of uh, of, of prep time? And then I had this realization that this class that I give on Friday and the article that I write are both my own decision. Like, this is not something I'm doing for a job that I am paid for. You know, it would be one thing if if this was for my job at the high school or if this is for my job at Yeshiva, which are which I'm working for other people and I'm responsible uh, to do this as part of my job. But these were things these are these are things that I'm doing on my own time uh, for uh, out of my own uh, my own volition. So. I'm, it's not like there's a boss telling me that I have to do these things. And so it occurred to me that uh, I, I, I sent out a, an email to all the, the women who participate in or listen to my class on Fridays. And I said, new policy for the year, which is that during the weeks that I go up to Connecticut, um, oops, I revealed which state it is. Okay. Uh, during the weeks that I go up to Connecticut, um, then I'm not going to give my Friday class. Uh, and, uh, and that's a decision that I'm making and that is a realistic decision. And, uh, I, I did happen to finish my article on uh, Friday, like an hour before Shabbos, but look, I don't have to write an article every week. So going through this realization, the going through this whole, uh, uh, stressful period and then realization about how unrealistic I'm being made me realize I am treating it as though I have infinite time, as though I am the God of time. And uh, that I am the God of eternity and that I'm not subject to time. But in reality, of course, I'm subject to time. There's a limited amount of time that I can use. And uh, and I I can't expect to to lose that time and then still get accomplish everything I need to be uh, that I need to, to get done. Now, I think that it is not an accident that ever since Sukkot, I have been slipping in a lot of the routines and habits that I have that have kept me with a healthy awareness of time. So... 
those who follow this podcast or who are on Instagram know that I have my weeks of my life chart that I have on my wall that at the, you know, that displays all of the weeks, uh, you know, from, uh, that, that add up to 88 years. So 4,570 weeks total. And, um, I mark off the week at the very end of the week. So I actually have been slipping with that. I haven't done that on time. I usually do it on Friday afternoon. I haven't done that since before Sukkot. So that's that's one thing that I've been falling behind on uh, that would have made me aware of time. Second thing is meditation. That uh, I used to be very, very strict on meditation of, of setting aside a half an hour to meditate every day um, over the course of the entire day. It could be you know, all in one shot. It could be uh, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. Uh, and at the beginning of the year, I or during the summer, I fell out of that habit. At the beginning of the year, I, I tried to get back into that habit and decided to set the bar at 10 minutes per day. And even that, since Sukkot, I'd fallen behind on. I did it a little bit, but I have not really been doing it. Uh, another habit that I've been falling behind on, and this one is the most worrisome to me, because this habit has been a mainstay of my mental health and sanity since uh, the middle of COVID, since uh, January 2021, is that I have my, my, my sacred time in the morning that is set aside where, where when I wake up, uh, either before or after davening, I will not turn, I'll turn on my phone, but I won't take it out of focus mode. And during the time that I drink my coffee, I will just have coffee and reading for about a half an hour and not connect to the world through social media. And what happened after Sukkot is partially because of the uh, the jet lag and the stress of wanting to be prepared for my uh, high school classes in the morning, I violated that sacred time and I would turn on my phone and, and you know, uh, turn it out of, take it out of focus mode and check my emails and then start preparing for the day. So in other words, I did not set aside this time of, this this uh, t- uh, I, uh, timeless island of, uh, of 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 self time of just reading and drinking coffee, which was a big big part of my day. So my habits have been slipping uh, in specifically in areas that help me to be aware of time, and I uh, I think it's not an accident that these two things uh, have happened. And uh, <laughs> I uh, you know, another habit that I, you know, I started rereading my favorite recent book, uh, which is 4,000 weeks time management for mortals by Oliver Berkman. I've recommended this book to everyone. I've bought a couple dozen copies and given them away. And, uh, I, I started rereading this, uh, going into Rosh Hashanah and reading a little bit each day. It was very good for me. And then during Sukkot, I lost that habit, uh, and stopped reading it. So, uh, just to, <laughs> give it a sample of this again I, I recommend the entire book but but i i opened up this morning i i took out the book during my reading time and i opened up the book and he says uh i'm just going to read the beginning of this uh section here this is in my edition it's on page 48 uh it's entitled why you should stop clearing the decks he says so far i've been writing as if the efficiency trap which is his matter of like this this need to be more and more efficient Uh, I've been writing as if the efficiency trap were a simple matter of quantity. You have too much to do, so you try to fit more in, but the ironic result is that you end up with more to do. The worst aspect of the trap, though, is that it's also a matter of quality. The harder you struggle to fit everything in, the more of your time you'll find 
Oh, sorry, the more of your time you'll find yourself spending on the least meaningful things. Adopt an ultra-ambitious time management system that promises to take care of your entire to-do list, and you probably won't even get around to the most important items on that list. Dedicate your retirement to seeing as much of the world as you possibly can, and you probably won't even get to see the most interesting parts. Right, now, here's what I wanted to read. The reason for this is straightforward. The more firmly you believe it ought to be possible to find time for everything, the less pressure you'll feel to ask whether any given activity is the best use for a portion of your time. Whenever you encounter some potential new item for your to-do list or your social calendar, you'll be strongly biased in favor of accepting it because you'll assume you needn't sacrifice other tasks or opportunities in order to make space for it. Yet, because in reality your time is finite, doing anything requires sacrifice, the sacrifice of all the other things you could have been doing with that stretch of time. If you never stop to ask yourself if the sacrifice is worth it, your days will automatically begin to fill not just with more things, but with more trivial or tedious things because they've never had to clear the hurdle of being judged more important than something else. Commonly, these will be things that other people want you to do to make their lives easier and which you didn't try and you didn't think to, which you didn't think to try to resist. The more efficient you get, the more you'll become a limitless reservoir for other people's expectations in the words of the, of the management expert, Jim Benson. So I realized that that's what happened to me, which is that let's go back to this past week. So I set aside the eight hours to drive up to Connecticut, which is very worthwhile. I set aside all the hours of uh, playing magic to uh, spend quality time with my students, which is also very valuable. But what I didn't do is make the conscious choice to say, well, you can't just take out those hours and use them in that way without forfeiting their use for other ways. And had I realized that, I would have realized from the get-go, I have to cut something out of my schedule in order to make time for that. And that just didn't happen, which shows this underlying God fantasy of feeling like I am outside of time, when in reality, only Hashem is outside of time. So so I, I think this was a real good wake-up call for me. And I'm glad that this is happening now in uh, November, which is still relatively early in the year. We're only in uh, in the uh, the second month uh, uh, of, of well, this is the third beginning of the third month of school. So I'm glad this is happening now, and I need to take uh, stock of what I'm going to do to prevent this from happening in the future. So I, I don't want to report on what I'm going to do uh, for that right now, but I am I do intend, and I'm saying this as a uh, a public announcement. Uh, I think one of the things I'm going to do is, well, first of all, I have to get back into making that that morning reading time sacrosanct uh, of not making exceptions. Another thing I need to do is uh, is be mockbeat, is be uh, be strict with my weeks of my life chart uh, because I think that does help me. That has been a, a a way to to just take note of the finitude of my life at the end of every week. So I need to do that. Third thing I need to do is get back into meditation. And specifically what I'm going to do is because I've been trying to do 10 minutes a day, then I actually am going to make a commitment to upping it to 20 minutes a day. Uh, again, either, you know, 10 here and 10 there or 20 in one shot. And I think the reason why this is going to help is because when you're trying to just be maximally productive and using every minute productively, then you run into the problem that Oliver Berkman was describing, where you just... It's just this mad rush to just use all your time to get everything done. But when you set aside time specifically to do nothing, it, it, it first of all, it makes you realize that the world doesn't fall apart when you stop and do nothing, which is very important for someone like me. Secondly, it also makes you value the time 
it, it calls into question. It makes you realize I am sacrificing time. I'm spilling out, you know, wine from the cup to make sure that I realize that there is, uh, the, the, that there is value in what remains in the cup. And so I, I need to not just realize that intellectually, I need to actually force myself to take 20 minutes a day to do nothing in order to really underscore the value of the remaining time in the day. Uh, and I, I think I want to end. Uh, so those are the, the things that I'm going to be doing uh, this week. And I think, but not, not just this week, I, I want to make this into a four week experiment of, of, of seeing how I do with the, uh, the 20 minutes of meditation and then the checking off the weeks of my life calendar. And the reason why I say four weeks is because this week is what I'm calling a normal week, which is I am in New York the entire time. Okay. The week after that, uh, is another week I'm going up to Connecticut. So that's going to be a disrupted week uh, or an unusual week. The week after that is Thanksgiving, which is going to be a disrupted week, but not all for work reasons. I mean, we get off work on Thursday and Friday, and also I'm traveling to family for Thanksgiving. So that's going to be another uh, unusual week. And then the week after that is going to be a normal week. So I think if I can sustain uh, this, do this experiment of the 20 minutes a day of meditation and the very easy task theoretically of on every Friday, checking off the weeks of my life calendar, then that will be a worthwhile experiment. Um, so I'll, I'll end off here with an excerpt from Seneca. So I, I, when I had this realization this morning, I went back and reread my favorite piece from Seneca, not the whole thing, but I read, uh, on the shortness of life, uh, to see if he talks about this. And the part that stood out to me was there's a, you know, most of the shortness of life is talking about people not really thinking about their mortality, but I want to see if there's anything he says here about, uh, about that, that's more related to my, my unique problem of, of thinking that you're outside of time in terms of the way you relate to the, uh, the present, um, not in terms of the span of your whole life. So he writes as follows. He says, uh, life falls into three divisions, past, present, and future. Of these, the present is transitory, the future uncertain, the past unalterable. Then he goes on and he talks about the past uh, for a while. And then he goes back and talks about the present. And this is the part that I wanted to read here. He says, the present is fleeting to the degree uh, that to some it seems non-existent. It is always in motion. It flows on headlong. It ceases to be before it has come and will no more brook delay than the firmament or the stars whose incessant drive never allows them to remain stationary. It is only with the present that busy men are concerned and the present is so transitory that it cannot be grasped. But because their attention is distracted in many directions, they are deprived of even this little. Now, I know it sounds cliche, but this is one of these cliches that is true, is I, I need to be more present. Uh, and I think that the meditation of literally forcing myself to not do anything oriented towards the future is going to cause me to slow down and to to be more cognizant of the the present transitory time that is always passing and to not be like the stars. Uh, what did he say? Not be like uh, uh, always in motion, flowing on headlong. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and just like, uh, believing as if I can, uh, what, what a Thoreau's, uh, Thoreau's statement as if you could kill time without injuring eternity. Uh, I don't know if that actually fits in here, but that's the phrase that comes to mind. Uh, but I, I think I need to think about that. I need to think about my relationship with time and eternity and not feel like I have the latter, uh, when really all I have is, uh, is the former. Okay. I hope this was a useful thinking aloud. Uh, and, uh, I am happy that I'm starting off the week 
um, with, uh, with this thought because I have a feeling that it's going to help the rest of the week go in a manner that uh, does not fall into that same problem. But I guess we'll find out. That's why it's an experiment. Okay, that is it for today's episode. Uh, if you gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash rubbish. And I want to mention here, uh, you know, I don't know what the deal is with my Patreon. Uh, I, I, I just looked back at the amount of, uh, revenue from Patreon and it has fluctuated wildly in the last, over this last year, unlike in past years when it was pretty consistent. So, um, not sure what's up with that. Uh, I guess if you have been a member of uh, my Patreon and uh, and still would like to support me, um, uh, I, I'm just curious. Uh, some people told me that they they realized that their Patreon uh, subscription uh, lapsed and uh, without them realizing it. So uh, so if you continue to want to support me on Patreon, then just double check and make sure that it's still that your account is still good. I appreciate that. Uh, alternatively, if you'd like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah content fund, my Venmo is at Matt-Schneeweiss, and my Zelle and PayPal are MattSchneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. Uh, and this is something that, again, I continue to thank people for that, that you know, the... Um, the the Patreon is like the 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 foundation, the bedrock of of support for my content. Uh, but the the sponsorships are like the building itself. <laughs> you know that that it really is due to the generosity of people sponsoring week uh, after week. And and thank God, I uh, you know it is there. There are sponsors for every week so far. Uh, that really is the. Uh, is the, uh, the 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 building itself the structure of uh, you know the, the the main thing that houses my content? Uh, if you'd like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you're interested in listing my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas@gmail.com. Uh, thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading, and thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone. And thank you to those who who do listen to this podcast and are are uh, are patient enough to put up with lapses of me not making any episodes. Hopefully that's another thing that is going to change, but that's not something that I'm willing to make a commitment to on air. So that's I I've taken the first step already of uh again, habits are everything. I you know, I keep my stoic I I I keep my stoicism books in the bathroom and I've taken them out at the beginning of the year. Or sorry, I should say before the summer, and I just never put them back in again. And and it hit me this week. I was like, why don't I read stoicism books anymore? Oh, because they're not available. Uh, I just need to position them in a place where I will be reading them every day. And I have taken that step to correct that. So hopefully you'll hear more episodes of the Stoke Jew podcast. Have a great week.